Welcome to our Wednesday night equip. Are you guys ready to get filled and equipped to do what the Lord has asked us to do? All right, so why don't you guys grab your notes or whatever you use to take notes, uh, your Bibles, because we're going to get into the Word tonight. If you notice in your bulletin, there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about. The first one is, if you open it up, you're going to notice it doesn't look like Sunday's bulletin. So if you are new to our Wednesday night equip, let me just be encouraged to tell you that this is where the saints come. This is where we get to go a little bit deeper or a lot deeper. And you, don't, you won't see fill in the blanks or the scriptures because this is what Wednesday night is geared and purposed for, that you will learn to hear the voice of the Lord and so that when the message is presented, that you are able to take what the Lord is telling you and apply it to your life. Remember, we talked about it is no good if it is not used. The second thing is if you notice that there's a card that looks just like this. Let me tell you what this is for, for those of you that may not know. This is so that you can invite your friends and your family. This is a very easy, non-threatening way. We're not preaching, we're not forcing, but through love and kindness, hey, you know what? I'm just letting you know that this is a great series Pastor Shelley is gonna be talking about. On the back side, on the flip side, the other service times. And if you notice that there's a box, you check that off to let your friend or your loved one know what service you're gonna be at so that they can meet you here. We are a large church, and it can be intimidating. So we want to make sure that we meet our friends here, that we are here showing them around, because it is up to us. And let me just say something. I want us to look around. Look at how many empty seats there are. There are supposed to be people in those seats. We live in a city at over 80,000 people. We are the saints, we are the church, we are the body of Christ. Our hearts need to be passionate about those that God is passionate towards. Our purpose as children and the body of God is to reach the lost. You know, Pastor Sheldon has been talking about reaching the lost one relationship at a time. Well, what does that mean? The greatest disciples are those that you walk alongside with. Jesus walked alongside of his disciples to teach them, to guide them, to nurture them. And as they grew, and we have people, family and friends that we walk alongside of too. And we get to disciple them as we learn and grow but we can't if they're not here. Studies show that 80%, 80% of unbelievers would attend church if they were invited. That's 80%. I don't know about you, but I have family that needs Jesus. I have friends that are going to hell. And what am I doing about it? Am I okay? Are we okay 
because we have the way, we have the ticket to heaven, we should not be okay with that. So let me encourage you, use these. If you want to get more, we have more at the Information Center, grab. When you come on Sunday, we'll have these in the bulletin. Pick them up, take them to your workplace. You can even use it when you leave your tip at a restaurant. There is nothing greater than salvation. And we know the way. Let's win the loss. Amen. Amen. You know, a, a couple of, no, in fact, it was this past Sunday. This past Sunday, uh, I got to join some friends. We went to Starbucks to hang out. And I was approached by this man. He, he kind of looked rough around the edges. But, you know, a lot of times, I cannot just befriend people that look good. You know what I mean? And I thought, oh, okay, you know, he, he said, hey, how's your Sunday? And I said, oh, my Sunday, Sunday's going good. And he goes, oh, well, what did you do today? And I said, well, I went to church. Oh, church. What church? So I told him. And he goes, well, what did you guys talk about? What was the sermon about? So I told him. And I even shared some of the points that Pastor Sheldon made. But God still reigns and that there is hope. And he goes, well, I'm not sure if I really believe in God, but there's, I know that there's a greater existence. I said, great, great. And so we started talking, and he started to share with me. And he's a farmer. And he was telling me a story. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, man, my friends are just going to kill me. I'm just talking. And I kept on asking questions. And it was really interesting what he was saying. And he is a farmer. And when I walked away from the conversation, I went home and I was retelling the story uh, to, my, to my husband. I said, Lord, what was it that you wanted me to take away from that? What did you want me to hear? And I was surprised what he told me. Because in the conversation, I just kind of was like, oh, he kind of smells like alcohol. Oh, what can I do to lead him to? What can I share with him, Lord? And the whole time your mind is going. And the Lord said, I have something for you. And this is what he was telling me, the farmer. His name is Scott. He said that he produces 52 different types of lettuce. You will find it at the farmer's market or in Isla Naturals or at KTA. It's under spring mix. And he was telling me that it's so good that you don't need dressing. And that it uses, it's all in organic. And I go, oh, that's interesting. He says, do you know what the trick is? Do you know what the secret to my lettuce is? And I was like, no, of course I'm not a farmer. Uh, and he says, it's the soil. I get down on my hands and knees and I work the soil and I feed the soil. And I make sure that the soil is ready for the seed. It's not because I have a magic seed. It's because the soil is ready and it's good. In fact, he said he doesn't use any pesticides. And he, and he kind of went on to tell me that pests are like bullies in a schoolyard. And I was like, oh, really? And he says, yeah, they only pick on the weak. And I was like, wow. He goes, I don't need to use pesticides because the pests, they don't eat my lettuce because it's not weak. And it's not weak because the soil is good. I took that away and I was like, wow, Lord. And he goes, you make sure that your soil is ready to receive my word. You make sure that you get on your hands and knees and you work and you feed. 
and you make sure that you prepare. And you know what the soil is, right? It's our hearts. Are we ready to hear what the Word of God, what God is telling us through His Word? Are we ready to take it? Are we ready to plant it and allow it to produce good fruit? The kind that cannot be bullied. I am. Awesome. Why don't we pray? Lord, we ask, Father, that you will prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive your word so that we can be producing good fruit, the kind of fruit that can stand up against the bullies of this world, that we will not be shaken or wavered. We thank you for allowing us to come to a place where we get to learn and grow. And we just humble ourselves before you. And we prepare our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah. Okay. About 12 years ago, we all know what happened. Our nation was affected by a great blow, a terroristic attack, which changed not only America, but the entire world. Terrorism in the natural physical world is very easy to recognize. But the terroristic attacks to our spirits, not so easy sometimes. That's why it's very important that we get into the word, that we stay in the word, and that we guard ourselves so that we're not influenced by the enemy, the true and ultimate terrorist. See, Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy, according to John 10.10. But you know what the rest of that verse, I just love. This is the best part, because Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have life more abundantly. See, we know what the enemy's tactics are. We know what he's about. And this is what Jesus says, but I came to give you life so that they may live and live a life more abundantly. Who's they? Yeah, that's right. That's you. That's me. That's the church, the saints. And we get to live a life more abundantly. And I want that. You know, have you ever been influenced to do something you probably shouldn't do? I have way too many. Way too many. That's a whole different sermon. I have way too many that I've given into. Now, growing up, I was born with asthma. Now, there are different types of asthma. There's different stages of asthma. I had a pretty bad stage of asthma. So growing up, I was always either in and out of the hospital, always taking medication. I actually had to stay indoors during New Year's and just watch my brothers pop fireworks because that's how deadly the smoke is for me. So I'm growing up, and I must have been like 12 or 13 because that's when all the trouble started, I guess. And my friend said, hey, you want to start smoking? Now, I knew that I probably shouldn't, but then I thought, hey, why not? Because everybody else is doing it. Hey, why not? Because it's going to make me fit in. And besides, I'm taking all this medication, so it probably should counter the smoke. Yeah, let's do this. 
I started smoking to the point where I would smoke about almost two packs a day. Now, mind you, I had chronic asthma. I wasn't thinking at the time about my future as an adult. I don't know if a 13, 14, or 15-year-old does. They only think about the now, what feels good now. See, I didn't think about maybe the consequences that came along that, along a side of that. See, as an adult, even after I quit, once I started youth ministry, I was like, what am I doing? And that was my personal conviction. Even years after, I suffered consequences. I limited my life without even knowing it. I was stuck on taking high dose, doses of steroids, not the kind that makes you buff, although I'm kind of pretty buff. But the kind that helps you breathe. Okay, don't get crazy. All I saw at the time was me fitting in with the culture around me because I didn't want to be the party pooper. I didn't want anybody to look at me like, oh, what, do you think you're better than me? You know, when you're a kid, you just kind of give in. You see, when we compromise, we are blinded by the moment rather than thinking about the bigger picture and any of the after effects. We simply want to satisfy the flesh. Tonight, we're going to take a glimpse into the life of Solomon, son of King David, and the dangers of compromise. So if you're taking notes and you want to put in that title, the dangers of compromise. King Solomon, who succeeded his father, King David, is known in Bible history as one of the wisest men that has ever lived. And yet, also, one of the greatest fools. You see, although Solomon directly knew God, actually had God speak to him, and was greatly blessed by God, in his later years, he compromised the truth with pagan trash. He may, he may have well been talking about himself in Ecclesiastes 4.13 with, Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will no longer take advice. Solomon's example is a lesson for all that compromise with what God is saying is right and acceptable because it will carry a very high price. See, in Solomon's early years, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 King, and we're going to look at chapter 3. In Solomon's early years, we have wisdom. You know when we first come to Christ and we're on fire, and we're just so in love with him, and we just want to do what is right. We get rid of everything. We just want to please him. Although that's how it should be all the time. But when we first fall in love with Jesus, and we just want to do whatever it is to please him, this is where Solomon was in the beginning of his reign. After David died, Solomon became king of all Israel at an early age, likely in his teens. Despite his youth and inexperience, he had something going for him. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. He was guaranteed greatness. Guaranteed greatness 
if he completely obeyed God. With complete obedience and faithfulness to God, we are guaranteed greatness. God is a good God. And he wants the very best for us. But we got to do our part. See, Solomon, he was wise. And we're going to read. We're going to see right now in chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 7. I'm going to read from 7 to 14. I want you to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by my side, my for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon, and he asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as one that no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So, <clears throat> what do we see when we read this passage. One, Solomon recognized his immaturity and knew that he didn't know it all and that he needed God. You know, when we first come and we're excited and we know, we know we cannot do it on our own and we seek him and we run after him. This is what Solomon was recognizing at this time. I can't do it on my own. So father, give me wisdom to govern your people. Number two, Solomon knew where to turn to because of what he saw in his father, King David. He knew that he needed the Lord. There are people watching us that don't know. And we need to show them, just like King David. Try to instill in his son that you are guaranteed greatness if you are obedient to God. The third thing, God was pleased with him, and because he was selfless, he gave him more than he asked for. See, God wants to reward us as well. We are his children. He wants to give us more than what we ask for. He wants to pour out, but what we have to become selfless, not selfish. Selfless. And four, Solomon recognized God's strength and power and loved him, not because of the blessings he received, but simply because he wanted 
wanted to honor God. So what happened along the way with Solomon's life? What happened that led to corruption? How do, how do we go from wisdom to corruption? Ironically, Solomon's success, or his not keeping it in perspective in relation to the God who gave it all to him in the first place, led to his failure. It was actually more of a slide than a fall. He came to trust in his wealth and political power more than in God, who made it all possible. His great wealth and diplomatic, diplomatic influence allowed him to collect a harem of 1,000 women from all sorts of nations that the Lord had told the Israelites not to get involved with. His many wives led him into worshiping their idols. See, Solomon may not have just outright rejected the one true God. He still knew who God was. In fact, interesting, he still worshipped God. He still went to the temple. He still did that. But he also continued in sin. He compromised the truth by tolerating all sorts of paganism at the same time. So what happened? How did he go from being wise to being corrupt? He compromised. Very dangerous thing to compromise the truth. When you compromise your commitment, when we as God's people compromise the truth, we will go from being a very wise people to a very corrupt people because we will begin when we start to compromise that's when we tolerate the enemy when we tolerate sin and we should not tolerate sin turn with me to first kings chapter 11 and we're going to read from verses 1 to 11 Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, in this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. 
He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to bring to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Wow. We can clearly see what happens to good intentions when we disobey God's command, when we give in to the culture around us. We're going to look a little bit at what Solomon did, where he went wrong. And may we take heed to the warning that God has given us. All right? Solomon tolerated what was wrong, giving into pleasing people rather than doing what was right. Number two. Solomon violated the law of Moses, which led him to compromising his commitment to the Lord. Solomon continued to worship God, yet he also continued to sin. Solomon allowed his heart to turn away from God, even though Solomon had received clear instructions from God. He still allowed the culture around him to compromise his integrity, which had some pretty dire consequences. If you don't get anything else tonight, church, get this. Compromise comes with consequences. Compromise comes with consequences. Solomon tolerated what was going on. We are commanded. We have been entrusted. We are the children of God. There are people, your loved ones, that are choosing to go to hell. Because we, the church, are tolerating sin. We're tolerating the culture around us. We're tolerating it because we want to please everybody. Yes, we demonstrate God's love. We demonstrate God's compassion. We demonstrate God's acceptance. But we do not tolerate compromise. We cannot compromise. 
Because with compromise comes consequences. Then we will be in violation of the word itself. You know, a lot of people, because I work with youth, a lot of youth will say, only God can judge me. You guys heard that, right? I mean, we're going way back to Tupac. Only God can judge me. He's a rapper for those of you that don't know. I don't want God to judge me. Do you know what that means to stand before God and say, oh, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't, I don't need any of this nothing. You know what? When I die, I die. I'll stand before God. He judged me. Ooh, dangerous. Have you ever heard the story about the guy who couldn't make up his mind which side he wanted to fight for in the Civil War? So because he couldn't make up his mind, he put on the coat from the north and the trousers from the south. And guess what happened? He got shot from both sides. That's what will happen to the compromiser, the person who tries to live in two worlds. Not only is it cannot be done, it is unacceptable. Whew. We should not settle for serving God halfway. We kind of make up our mind. You're either in, whew, oh, you guys still love me, right? You guys love me. You're either in or you're not. Turn with me to Revelations. Ooh, I love Revelations. Chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And some of us are familiar with this verse. You know, God is talking about the lukewarm church. This is what it reads, verse 15 and 16. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever had something so disgusting in your mouth that you needed to get it out? And you know you never want to eat that again? Something so bad that you have to spit it out, you just can't swallow it? Imagine that. Imagine God doing that. And he loves us. But he is not down with lukewarm. He is not down with a church that would decide to just remain neutral. Compromise comes with consequences. Sadly, there are many in the church today that live a compromised life. We know the commands of the Lord, and yet we want to make sure everyone is happy and satisfied even to the point of us compromising our spiritual commitment to God. We become tolerant of the culture shift happening around us, leading us to become tolerant to sin. It was Jesus who demonstrated over my dead body 
will you go to hell. He demonstrated that on the cross. See, hell wasn't made for people. It was made for Satan and the fallen angels. It was not made for us. But yet, people are still choosing to go there. And Jesus demonstrated on the cross, you know what? No. Over my dead body will you go there. But yet, there are still people choosing to go. I'll tell you why. Because the devil is so sly that he makes it seem like it's going to be a fun place to be. It's going to be one happening party. All my friends are going to be there. Our friends shouldn't be there. They don't belong there. It wasn't meant for them. And we got to fight. But how can we fight? when we're not standing on solid rock, when we're not standing on the truth, we're wavering, we're compromising because we want to please people and not our God. We compromise our commitment. When we said yes to Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Are we shining the light in such a way that people that don't understand know the way to salvation? Are we being taking these things seriously and handing them out to the 80% that could be here? It ain't no party, at least not a party I want to be at. Christians who say they believe, yet choose not to heed to the warnings of the Lord, choose to be lukewarm. What does that mean? In light of what we just read in Revelations 3, 15, 16, what does that mean? Because we all have areas in our lives that may be lukewarm. And we got to ask the Holy Spirit, turn up the heat. Turn it up. Because we cannot compromise. The Bible gives us a great example in Revelation 2 of such a church. It was Pergamos, located in Pergamum, the capital of Asia Minor. Known for its rampant idolatry, Pergamum housed the altar of Zeus and was the center of Caesar worship. Idolatry, wickedness, and sexual immorality were commonplace. The sin of Pergamum was its toleration of evil, a sort of have-your-cake-and-eat-it-to philosophy. Sadly, this is how many people in the world want it today. They want to go to church when it suits them. They certainly want to go to heaven, but they still want to live in sin. They still want to party in sin and commit immorality, lie when necessary, cheat if they have to, steal if it suits them, and hate and get revenge when someone crosses them. It is the idea of sinning to your heart's content, telling yourself God will understand. If you think you can sin to your heart's content without repercussions and consequences, and if you think you can go on and break the commandments of God over and over because you're an exception to the rule, then you are deceiving yourself. Now, I'm not saying that we, as followers of Christ, 
will not fall into sin. The Bible clearly says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, 1 John 1, 8. But there is a big difference between the person who sins, who is sorry for it and doesn't want to keep on doing it, than the person who continually, willfully, willfully, habitually sins over and over again and then says, it's okay because God will forgive me. The Bible says, shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Romans 6.1. Show me a person who's living in close, who's not living in close relationship or fellowship with God. And I will show you a person who is on their way to compromise, to bigger problems. It is only a matter of time where we get weakened by the culture around us and we begin to tolerate sin. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go the other way. We do not have to compromise. See, God gives us. See, this is the reason why we need to guard ourselves, guard our hearts, get into the word, be filled with the word, know what the truth is saying, so that we're prepared because God gives us a way to solve, a way out. He knows. He knows our struggles. He knows that we sin. He knows our weaknesses. You know, when you think about Jesus, when he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he, his body became weak, and he, and he didn't eat, and he was suffering as he was getting ready, that is when the enemy came to tempt him. So the enemy knows when we're tired, when we're confused, when we're weak, when we're doubtful, when we want to give up, that's when he's going to come in and say, look at what I can give you. Just worship me. I'll give you, I'll make you lots of friends. I'll, I'll make you this. And that's when he comes. So Jesus went through it to give us as, us as an example. You can do it. I know what it's like to struggle. I'm not going to let you, uh, allow you to be tempted if I don't give you a way out. And he gives us his word. And that's how we know that we serve a great, compassionate, merciful God. He loves us. He loves us enough to warn us also. Look at Solomon, a great king. Loved me, worshipped me, asked for wisdom, but along the way compromised, which led to his failure. It led to a great fall. It led to corruption. The best antidote to the allurements and temptations of this world is a passionate love relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to carry the spirit of defeat. We must push through the pain we must push through the struggle. We must push through the doubt. 
We have what it takes to lead this generation to salvation, to bring the light and hope of Jesus Christ to a dying world. We have what it takes. We were created for greatness. We were created for greatness. We cannot be okay with losing just because we think the other team is stronger. We have a coach, and his name is Jesus. And he's by our side, rooting us on every step of the way. You can do it. Just one more. I know it hurts. I know it's a struggle. I know how you're feeling. Give me your best. Give me your best. I have greatness, guaranteed greatness for you. Can you give me your best? If we do not lead and we do not influence this world, who will? The celebrities? TV? The internet? What do we want our children to see? What do they want our friends to believe in? Don't compromise the truth. Don't compromise the commitment that you made when you asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Don't waver just to please the culture around us. We are the church. And we have to stand for what is right, not what feels good, not what we think is acceptable. We are faced with challenges. As a state even, but we are not defeated. No, God is still in control. And Jesus is by our side saying, give me one more. I know you can do it. You have what it takes. Rise up. And we yell out, am I at the 10? Am I at the 20 yet? And he's going to say, look up. Because you're in the end zone. We serve a good, compassionate, merciful God who wants the very best for his people. But are we willing to stand firm? Are we willing to invite our friends? Are we willing to disciple others? Are we willing to build relationships with love and kindness and acceptance without wavering the truth? Are we willing to push through? Yes. Because we don't need to compromise. Because our God is in control. Go ahead and put away your Bibles and your notes. And we're going to end tonight. And we're going to pray. And we're going to return back 
to when we first fell in love with Jesus, when we wanted to make things right. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In humility, we come to you, Father. We ask for your strength and wisdom as we continue to stand boldly and firmly on your word. Which is the truth. We do not want to be compromising people. We don't want to be lukewarm. Hear our prayers, Lord, and heal our land. Give us the courage to walk uprightly, strength to avoid sin, and wisdom to stand for truth. Shine your light through us so that those who are blinded by the enemy may see you. Let us remember to love and be kind towards each other and towards those who do not understand so that there is a clear path to you and salvation. Father, we, make, we ask that you make us mindful of sin so that we be people who will not tolerate it or give into it. May our hearts desire be as you desire. And may we seek you at all times, not giving into the corrupt culture that surrounds us. You alone are God, and we worship only you. In Jesus' mighty name, we all say, Amen. Amen.